Welcome to the Life After Sugar podcast. The podcast that's not just about sugar, but about your relationship with it and also with food and especially with yourself. So if you want to discover your life after sugar and hear inspiring stories from all kinds of people who also cut out sugar in their way, at their pace, for their own reasons, this is the podcast for you. Because you know, when you take away the sugar, you can finally discover the real sweetness in your life. I'm your host, Netta Gorman. And in this episode, I'm talking with Kate B., who is the founder of The Sober School. She helps women who are tired of thinking about drinking all the time stop drinking alcohol. And we have a lot of things in common in our chat about alcohol and sugar. We'll get to our chat in just a minute. But just before, I wanted to thank you for listening to this podcast. And if this is your first time here, welcome. I'm so happy you've discovered this podcast and I hope that it will inspire you to take one more step towards your life after sugar. And I'd be so grateful if you could rate and review the podcast. Just scroll down and tap on the stars to rate it. And if you want to add your review, go to the podcast player where you're listening to this podcast, scroll down, tap on write a review and write your review. I love reading your reviews and I really take them to heart. It really inspires me to continue with this podcast. And the more ratings and reviews this podcast gets, the more the algorithm shares it and the more people we can help when they discover this podcast. So, thank you. All right, let's get to my chat with Kate. All right, so today I'm with Kate B in the UK and Kate is the founder and creator of The Sober School. Lovely to meet you, Kate. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. You're very welcome. Kate, can we start by you telling us a little bit about how you grew up with food, sugar, alcohol? I imagine you didn't consume alcohol as a child, but (laughs) all the same. Can you tell us a bit about your background with food and sugar, please? Yeah, sure. So yes, I, I wasn't drinking alcohol as a child, but I witnessed my parents and my grandparents and every adult I knew using alcohol. Um, in fact, I have this one of my young, my earliest memories is my granddad pouring or pretending to pour a splash of gin into my lemonade and how exciting that was to be with the grown ups. So I share that because I think it indicates how sold I was on alcohol long before I started um, actually drinking it. So, yeah, you know, alcohol was the most normalized drug around and I thought it was cool and trendy. And when I started drinking, I quickly realized it helped me forget about all the things that I thought were wrong with me, you know, too shy, not pretty enough, not a good enough dancer, not good at talking to guys all those things and it's really interesting because now I'm I'm very curious about my relationship with food as well and I see when I look back at my childhood that I had what's 
a very typical upbringing for many, which yes, absolutely involved sugar, but also food for comfort. So mm. if I'd had a, a bad day, it was cheered up with food. If I'd done well at school or whatever, the reward was food. And I think um, I definitely had that relationship with sugar where it was a sort of end of the day stress buster, eating cookies and candies and all sort of things like that. And then once I got into my 20s, I replaced that with alcohol. That was the crutch at the end of the day instead. So I see those two things as being very linked. Yeah, yeah, totally. And did the alcohol replace the sugar or did it add to the sugar? I think it added to it, really. I mean, yes, I was coming home and pouring a glass of wine instead of having a cup of tea and half a packet of biscuits. So I don't know, you could argue which has got the more sugar in. But I think we forget that wine itself has got tons of sugar in. I mean, some brands in particular have got, oh, an an incredible amount in just one glass. So I think alcohol mentally replaced sugar as a crutch, but I used to eat loads of junk food and sweets and all that stuff whilst I was drinking and when I was hungover, because like many women, I spent a large part of my life on a diet or trying to be quote unquote good. And so drinking kind of gave me permission to eat all those things that I thought I shouldn't have, but really wanted to have. Yeah, yes, that makes total sense. And I have come across lots of people who come to Life After Sugar to help stop eating sugar and feel great about not eating it. And they found that when they stopped drinking alcohol, then it was just crazy amounts of sugar that they were eating instead. Is that your Mm. experience as well? Yeah, that is what I see with a lot of people. Because ultimately, if you are, if you're using something, whether it's sugar or alcohol or, I don't know, gambling, any kind of crutch, really, if you're using that to buffer away your feelings and you take one of those options, you take your go-to option away, it makes sense that you're going to fall back on something else that you've also used in the past. So when I'm working with women and coaching them to stop drinking I actually try and I advise them not to worry about the sugar for a while like we've just got to focus on the alcohol to begin with but in the long term we have to do the 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 mindset work to look at well what's really going on here like why am I reaching for sugar instead yeah Yes, definitely. Yes, because it's out of the frying pan into the fire, <laughs> metaphorically. And, and really what both of us help people to look at is the deeper reason why they need a crutch in the first place. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I'd, I'd, I'd love to hear what your kind of experience with this is. But when I think about all the women I've worked with, on the surface, they say there are you know, lots of things like I'm, I'm just stressed out. I don't like my job. I'm in a difficult relationship. I just need to relax. I just love wine. You have all those kind of surface level reasons. But when you really dig deep, I think it always comes back to not feeling good enough. Like on some level, 
you don't feel good enough. So you're trying to behave in a certain way to prove yourself. And if that isn't working out, that feels huge and uncomfortable. Totally. Yes. And I don't know about you and the ladies that you work with, but I never learned any other type of coping skill than eating sugary and junk foods. And most of the people, in fact, all of the people I work with didn't either. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that's where we can bring in real compassion that we just learned to manage in in the way we did we did the best we could with the tools available to us in in my family you know I had had a very stable childhood and very loving parents but they didn't really do emotions so I you know I remember being sent to my room as a child too when I had you know an outburst or behaved in a way that wasn't deemed acceptable so it's like you you go off with your emotions and you figure them out on your own like there's something wrong with them and that message teaches you that like emotions aren't safe um you know the highs and lows aren't okay it really sets you up on a path to be quite fearful of feeling your feelings therefore Makes sense that we're drawn to stuff that helps us just squash them down instead. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, exactly. And I want to circle back to what you were saying um, about the residual sugars or the sugar in wine and different types of wines. Can you just tell us a bit about that? Because that wouldn't that wouldn't have been a connection that I would have made between sugar and wine. Is it the sugar content of wine or the residual sugar content that we need to sort of be wary of well I was looking at a study earlier on um, that really just uh, it analyzed a range of common supermarket wines and it calculated that the actual sugar content in the products was extremely high but the this isn't explained on the label um, there is little to no labelling on bottles of wine. You, you'd be forgiven for thinking that wine was just mashed up grapes and that was about it. But actually, you know, winemaking today has less to do with sunlit vineyards and a lot more to do with lab coats and scientists and chemicals. But in most common supermarket wines, there is huge amounts of sugar Um, I think like one or two glasses in some cases can give you your whole, I think you're not supposed to have more than 30 grams of free sugars a day and two or three glasses can take up that whole 30 grams. Yeah. Yes. And it's liquid sugar and it's mixed with alcohol, which is, you know, just (laughs) probably worse than sugar for your liver, I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah, and I find it so interesting that so many people who drink wine in particular are actually quite health conscious and they are scrutinizing food labels and probably thinking about their sugar intake in other areas and maybe buying organic, like really got this focus on avoiding chemicals and things that they things that aren't you know, natural. And yet with wine there is this kind of funny relationship where we just 
just buy it, just assume it's all okay. And, it, and it's not, there's so much hidden in that. Yeah, I think um, a lot of people, because I talk about fermented foods and drinks, they're like, oh, well, wine and beer are fermented, which doesn't mean they're probiotic at all. It's just, it's just like they're fermented, sure. But not everything that's fermented is necessarily good for you. And it's certainly not probiotic. And I just want to say neither of us, I think, are against alcohol per se. We're not demonizing alcohol. It's not so much the, the, the product itself as our relationship with it. And if our relationship with it is unhealthy or does us more harm than good, then maybe that's a good place to start to, to think about whether you want an unhealthy relationship in your life. Yeah, exactly. I think you're completely right about not demonizing alcohol or sugar. Like, I don't think that's a, a healthy thing to do. But what I am on a real mission to do is to educate people about this because it infuriates me that we're so well educated about other drugs. Like take cigarettes, for example. Like we know so much about them. When I go into my local shop here, you know, I live in the UK, um, you know, right in front of me will be all the bars of chocolate, all the alcohol on the shelves, all the, you know, highly produced foods. But the cigarettes are hidden in a cupboard because they're not allowed to be on display. And the packets themselves are covered in grotesque messages and warnings. So you, you can't escape the fact that there's a real danger there. And yet alcohol is presented in these really beautiful bottles and many sugar filled foods are, are the same packaged up beautifully. And I just I just love us to get to a place where quitting drinking or quitting sugar it's like no big deal where, where someone would say, oh, good for you. Just yeah. as we would say to someone who is losing weight or stopping smoking, well done you. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. really feel that. Yeah. Yeah. And yet we are all aware that sugar and alcohol are just as harmful as cigarettes. But there's this social expectation to consume sugar right down to our babies and kids and alcohol when we're older it's like a synonym of fun in life you know mm. and it, i mean it was for both of us let's be well, let's be honest it was for the longer longest time for both of us how did you step out of that paradigm of alcohol equals fun yeah yeah so this is something i really had to work on because you know i grew up watching sex in the city in some of my formative years and I really equated drinking and particularly cocktails and wine with going out having fun and being an empowered woman it, there was something about really being a, a strong empowered woman around that as well which is such a toxic mix when you're associating those kind of good qualities with needing to drink alcohol so unpacking all of that in my mind took quite a while. But one of the most powerful things I did was I started focusing on the times when I'd drunk alcohol and not had a good time. Because we all have this confirmation bias where we look for evidence that supports what we already believe to be true. 
And drinkers do this all the time. This is why we're so focused on those good times we've had drinking and we conveniently forget all the other times. I don't even think about the hangovers until we're in one. And actually, you know, towards the end for me, there were just so many times when I was drinking and I wasn't having fun. I was doing things that weren't making me happy. Mm -hmm. And I just kind of like looked at it and thought, yeah, when I really focus on that, sure, there have been times when I've had a good time. It's it's the law of averages, you know, but when I looked at the times when I'd really enjoyed myself, I could see it wasn't just about the alcohol. Yeah, that was a, a part of it, but it was also a lot to do with the people I was with, where we were, the music, the food, the mood I was in what had happened at work, like like all these different things. And yet we just have this culture of thinking that alcohol is some kind of magic joy juice type of thing when it when it just isn't. Yeah, yeah, I could say exactly the same about sugar. How old were you when you stopped drinking alcohol? I was 29 and a half. Okay, so in my book, that's pretty young still (laughs) from where I'm sitting. Um, And how did you find that people reacted to that decision of yours? It was difficult at first. Um, You know, that's nearly 10 years ago now. So, and a lot has changed since then. When I, one of the reasons I started the sober school was because I felt there was just a complete void no one was talking about quitting drinking when you're a grey zone drinker, when you haven't had a rock bottom experience, which I, I hadn't. I mm. just I just knew this isn't working for me, but I don't want to go to AA. I don't need to go to rehab. But I can't seem to drink any less. So it was like in this like no man's land. And so, yeah, when I stopped drinking, people were very baffled by it. Um, dry January wasn't even such a big thing back then or you know sober October dry July all the little months that we have now and I found myself having to explain myself a lot which was hard because I wasn't sure what I wanted to do in the long run I will say that now I I do think things have changed a bit Um, I often have clients telling me about how actually they went out and no one even noticed Or other people said, oh, wow, good for you. Yeah, I've been thinking I need to cut down as well. So times are changing. But I also see now with my like coaching hat on that when I quit drinking, I was obsessed with what other people would think. And because I was obsessed about it, it became this huge thing. Yeah. Whereas I could have done with someone talking to me about, hey, let's get this in perspective here. And I imagine you say the same thing to people about sugar, like it's just one part of a social event that you can choose to have or not have. A bit like you would choose to have a cup of tea or coffee or not have one. Yes, yes, yes. It's we do make quite a big deal of it inside of our heads. Whereas, you know, I tell people, do you know what? 99% of people that you're hanging out with at a party, whatever, they don't care what's on your plate or in your glass, you know, and it's like most people think of of milling around thinking about themselves much more than they're thinking about you. (laughs) And so so it's natural to think, oh, what will they say? But most of the time, they just don't care. 
Yeah. And if someone does make a big deal of it, you have to ask, like, why is that? Yes, like, it's very often more about them than it is about you. And it's a form of projection, I found. Totally. Yeah, it's because of how they 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 can't imagine not eating sugar. They can't imagine not drinking. And perhaps there's even a bit of concern there that you won't have a good time because you're not having this cake or you're not having this drink. But, you know, again, that comes back to their beliefs that this is you you need to consume these these products in order to have a good time but that's kind of their problem and I think it's uncomfortable for many of us to step into that place of really knowing this is not my drama this is not my issue to fix I've just got to look after my mindset absolutely absolutely and you know I'm not trying to belittle the the importance of social acceptance and feeling like you're one of the gang and on the opposite side, not feeling like you're the odd one out. And that's why I think it's so important that you, as well as myself, we're offering a a place, a safe place for people to be with others who are on the same path as they are and that get it. Just before I continue with my chat with Kate, I wanted to circle back to what we're talking about, about the importance of community, because that's what the After Sugar Club is all about. It's a place for you to find like-minded people who are on the same path as you to a healthier lifestyle, one that includes less or even no sugar, one that may or may not include intermittent fasting, and one where you feel safe and heard and understood by people who get you. And now you can sign up for the regular membership in the After Sugar Club on a monthly basis and get a more self-study format with group support and our twice-monthly check-in calls. Or you can sign up for the premium membership, which is where you get more personal attention and customised guidance according to your needs. In fact, you'll get 12 extra accountability calls with me, Netta, that are scheduled according to your availability and time zone so that you can attend each call. The premium version of the After Sugar Club is a much more hands-on experience where I'll be guiding you through structured exercises and assignments with my personal feedback. And you'll also get my help with making small but powerful mindset shifts to transform your relationship with sugar and comfort foods. I've created a proven framework that will allow you to get to true freedom from sugar, to a place where you don't want, need or miss sugar anymore. And what's cool is that the premium version of the After Sugar Club includes one whole year in the After Sugar Club for ongoing support and encouragement and accountability. To get all the details and to sign up for the After Sugar Club, go to aftersugarclub.com and click on the big green button, join the club. See you there. Oh, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, I think it's really important to be part of a community who have all got those same goals where you almost where you fit in by 
not eating sugar, not drinking alcohol. Yeah, you need that, especially if you've got you know, someone very influential in your life, like a partner who really, really isn't on the same page as you. That can be yeah, quite challenging to deal with. So it's so helpful to have other people to bounce off and to kind of pick you up and you know give you a boost when you need it. Definitely, definitely, yes. And I found that for me, because I'm in my 50s, I've got a little bit more sort of self-assurance that has developed over the years. And it's like if people are like, oh, go on, have a bit, whether it's cake or wine or whatever, because I don't drink that much because my body's so sensitive to sugar now that just a little bit of wine just sends me off into a tailspin. It's not that much fun for me or for the others with me. But I mean, you know, I'm not completely teetotal, but, you know, not far off. But anyway, um, in parties and whatnot, it's like if they're saying, go on, Netta, have a bit, just, you know, we're all having fun, join in the fun. And I've just found it. Um, enjoyable to say what um, do I look like I'm not having fun already or do you think I look at this smile look at how I act I'm having fun I don't need the sugar or the alcohol to be a fun person that's my self-identity now is I'm fun all on my own <laughs> inside of I my- love that yeah that's so true Um, Yeah, I often tell people when they're first quitting drinking that they need to be excessively positive about it. Even if they're not feeling that way inside, they need to communicate and convey that they are having fun and they are just fine. Because actually that is what helps change the conversation. Because if someone can see that you are having a good time and you're happy for them to do whatever they like, but you're just fine. You don't feel like you're missing out at all. Then that takes the pressure off a bit. But yeah, I agree. Like the things I say now, if people question it, I just, I almost have fun with it. I almost like being questioned about it because I'm so confident and so self-assured. I saw someone the other day posted this great response. Like it was something like, no, I don't need to drink anymore. Like I've completed that level of my life and I've up-leveled. And I was like, wow, I like this answer. And it's great. I I wouldn't have said that in the early days, but I like it Yeah, exactly. It takes a bit of practice, you know, and we don't want to come across as judgmental about people who decided to eat sugar or drink alcohol. So it's, you know, it can be a little bit sort of, just a bit of a challenge to find the right sort of a response that you know translates how you feel but without trying to um, judge other people yeah yeah I, I think sometimes you have to have these conversations with people in private and you can even ask like why is this so important to you um and that can often be quite revealing uh, another thing that springs to mind is it's in um Jason Vale has written this book called Kick the Drink and in it he makes this analogy about bananas and he always says well you know if if I kept pestering you to eat a banana and I kept telling you that I only have like three bananas a week only in the evening sometimes like an extra banana at the weekend like would you think I had a problem with bananas (laughs) yes (laughs) you'd think that was weird right yeah And I often think about that analogy when it comes to handling these social matters, because it can just help you take a breath, step back and think, you know what, I'm doing nothing wrong here. 
yeah this is this is okay I'm, I'm totally entitled to be making these choices absolutely absolutely it's it does require quite a lot of sort of um self-assurance maturity call it as you will and and also you know I tell people well if you can't have any fun at all at a party without eating sugar or drinking alcohol then maybe the problem is not sugar or alcohol yeah maybe it's the party you're at <laughs> yeah and maybe well, the it's capacity to find fun in anything yeah yeah uh, there's also this great analogy about have you watched the film the matrix yes um, oh yes and this kind of reminds me of that that we're living life like unplugged we're not plugged into the matrix um, but when you are sort of buffering away your feelings with alcohol or sugar you can be living a life that really isn't that great but you don't realize it because you're kind of plugged in you're you're going to sugar and alcohol for the for the entertainment the comfort the everything as soon as life gets a bit difficult but nowadays I would much rather know exactly what my life is like the highs and the lows particularly the lows I want to know yeah that was a boring party this is important information because it will inform what I do next I have a limited amount of time here and I want to be living a life and doing things that truly make me happy yeah yes yes it then and, and you know at that level we're not talking about alcohol or sugar anymore we're talking about our lives which is actually why I call it life after sugar it's about your life and how you choose to live it yeah yeah I love that mm. yeah and so I'd like to talk to you about willpower because willpower is something that comes back very often when we talk about sugar but I imagine that it's also a big deal when we're talking about stopping drinking. Mm -hmm. And what is it that makes it such a challenge for people to think, oh, I don't have the willpower to stop drinking? Yeah. Yeah. So most approaches to stopping drinking are heavily willpower focused. It's about this idea that you are giving something up, but, you know, that's a necessary evil because alcohol is causing you some problems. And I think when people get to real rock bottom, they've had some really bad experiences, they can move forward from that place and they can make, they might have some acceptance around what they feel they are supposedly giving up because things have got so bad. But for the people I work with who are drinking like I was in the grey zone, the idea of having to rely on willpower not to drink for the rest of your days and to feel deprived, oh, th that just feels so awful. Yeah. Of course, you don't want to go there. And so I feel that a lot of approaches to stopping drinking are, are just far too simplistic in that way because they're all about removing the alcohol without doing the mindset work and looking at hey what are you using alcohol for I wonder like what we can do about that can we find you another coping mechanism is there something in your life that needs to change what are you thinking about what alcohol does for you 
is that thought serving you? Is that thought actually correct? Like, like a lot of people will tell me that alcohol helps them with their anxiety. Well, mm. no, it doesn't really, because alcohol actually increases your anxiety. And there are scientific studies that prove that. And so once you start taking that kind of information on board and seeing, oh, yeah, maybe this is contributing to my anxiety, stress, all those things, then you can start to break apart the willpower puzzle. Because if you start to take alcohol off its pedestal and just really question all the things it's supposed to provide, it is a lot easier to choose and really, truly want to choose to not drink. Yes. Yes, that's very wise. And, you know, our perception of what alcohol does for us or sugar does for us is, uh, I can't remember, was it bias? What was the term you used? A confirmation bias. A confirmation bias. So if you start off with the belief that alcohol slash sugar does something good for you, then you're going to find all the reasons. Is that what confirmation bias is? You're going to find all the reasons to prove that you're right. Yeah, or if you believe that um, drinking alcohol helps you have a great date night with your partner, you will look for all the evidence that supports that. And if you're not drinking, you'll be looking for all the awkward moments, overanalyzing every comment, like looking for this and that and that. Because, you know, our brain likes to keep us safe doing the same thing, sticking to the things it, it thinks it already thinks, you know. Yeah, yeah, totally. And in that case, willpower, in my experience, has nothing to do with it. And it, I, I think I've read that in scientific studies, they say the part of the brain that deals with willpower can just about manage 15 minutes before it's depleted, in which case, you know, why count on something that's so short term you know, and people ask me, Netta, how have you done it for seven years? No sugar. We have, what amazing willpower you must have. And I'm like, well, the willpower was over 15 minutes into the whole journey. And the other seven years minus 15 minutes haven't been about willpower whatsoever. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I often joke with people that I'm like, I'm a pretty lazy person. Like, I like an easy life. I am not your willpower girl. And I have just decided after educating myself and questioning some of my beliefs that it's much easier to live without alcohol and more fun and more fulfilling and all the rest of it. But it is certainly not a willpower battle. If it required willpower, I would have given up ages ago. Yeah, same here, same here. Yes, totally. And, and the sort of the freedom that I talk about in life after sugar that you may also resonate with is not needing sugar. It's not mm. wanting it and stopping myself. It's off my radar. Is that what it's like for you with alcohol? Yeah, yeah, exactly the same. That's what alcohol-free living should be when you really, truly, you don't want like a glass, a sip, nothing of it. That's what's freedom. And I think for anyone who has struggled with alcohol, you can relate, you know that in a battle, the constant bargaining, the when will I drink today? What time? How much? Oh, okay, I'll have one glass. Well, will that be enough? No, maybe I should go to the shops. Like all of that. I, I remember like going out for meals with people 
or being on dates and I was having like two conversations at the same time the one out loud with the person I was with and the one in my head about what I was going to drink or how much that that's like being in some kind of prison that's not freedom at all yeah so yeah the, the freedom of not being tied up in knots around that stuff is, is just incredible Absolutely. and and it is possible yes like yes. I, I really want to to share that because I think some some people are just so convinced that yeah it's going to be a life of misery and deprivation yeah it's quite the opposite yeah yeah and being dependent on anything whether it's sugar or alcohol is going to keep your life quite small because it's it's always going to be your focus and I just think if you really want a fulfilling life it has got to be more, it's got to be about more than the liquid in your glass, more than the cookie at the end of the day. Like life has just got to be about more than that. And if that is, if food and alcohol is your highlight reel right now, the thing you look forward to all day, that is probably a sign that something else needs to change. Yes, in your life in general, totally. Yes. Wow, what a powerful message fantastic thank you <laughs> and if people want to get in touch with you and your sober school how can they do that and um, the best way is to go to the sober um yeah i've got blog videos and little uh, pep talk downloads and stuff like that over there and i'm also at the sober school on instagram facebook and twitter smashing wonderful thank you and thank you for demystifying alcohol-free living with the operative word being free. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for having me on. And I just love seeing the parallels between sugar and alcohol. There is so much crossover here. It's incredible. It is. Yes. Yes. Thank you for, you know, making that connection with me today. And hopefully for the listeners that will set off a couple of light bulbs. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks, Kate. Gosh, isn't it amazing? The parallels between sugar and alcohol. And I'm not even talking about the sugar content or what sugar and alcohol do to your body, your liver. It's not even a biological discussion that Kate and I just had. It's really to do with how you choose to live your life. And it's almost like reassessing the beliefs that we've had all our lives. You know, the beliefs that have us thinking that you can't have a fun life or you can't even survive without sugar or without alcohol. And what I love about my conversation with Kate is that it's one more way of seeing life where you're responsible for how you decide to live your life. You're not giving away your power to alcohol. Just as in life after sugar, that's what I teach too. That you don't have to give away your power to sugar. So I'll put Kate's info in the description along with this episode. And in the show notes, you'll find the link to download your five tips for getting rid of cravings. Especially if you're an intermittent faster and you've realized that, well... Sugar's getting in the way of living your easy and natural intermittent fasting lifestyle. You can find those five tips to download at 
aftersugarclub.com. And because it's easier said than done to stop eating sugar, just like it is to stop drinking alcohol, and you may need some support and encouragement and accountability to actually implement all the theory that you may know, well, that's what the After Sugar Club is there for. It's a safe, private space where you'll be among other people that get you and that are on the same path as you, the path to living a healthier life with less sugar. Check out everything that's included in the After Sugar Club at aftersugarclub.com and click on the big green button, Join the Club. You can either join on a monthly basis in the regular membership and get the group support and a more self-study format, or you can join the premium membership and get personal attention and customised guidance with 12 extra accountability calls with me, plus a whole year in the After Sugar Club included for ongoing support and accountability. Go to aftersugarclub.com and click on the big green button, Join the Club, to see all the details of the regular After Sugar Club membership or the upgraded premium membership. Thank you for listening. That's it for this week. Keep in touch and see you soon for another episode.